What do you think Jesus might say to you if you were to say, say to him, hey, Jesus, I believe that you're the Messiah, that you are the Son of God, but your purpose, I'm not sure I'm down with that. I don't think that I want to be a part of that. I think he might say to us what he says to Peter in this passage. It might shock us because he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. In other words, what Peter's saying is satanic. Like That's how wrong and how evil it is. And I think this passage is really confronting me with this idea that it is not enough to agree and know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, but that his purpose is to seek and to save the lost. He has come to die on behalf of us, to raise from the dead, to enable us to be a part of that. So let's, let's just walk through this passage. We're in uh, chapter uh, 8 of Mark, starting at verse 22. Uh, very first thing that happens is he has this interaction with this, this blind man. I want to highlight it in verse 22 because we're going to come back to this. He says, He came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Who brought the blind man? Some friends of his, some people that knew him. Who was the one? The, who were the ones that begged Jesus to heal him? It was these friends as well. The blind man is just getting brought along. The blind man isn't the one that's doing the begging. Take note of that. And then we have this interesting healing where it's kind of a two-stage healing. Jesus touches his eyes and uh, asks him, do you see anything? He's like, I see people, but they appear as trees walking. And then he touches them again. And then uh, in verse uh, 25, it says that his sight was restored. He, was, he saw everything clearly. So two-stage healing. Now, is, does that mean that Jesus' miracle touch you know, needed a little bit of calibrating? Like, oh man, I'm a little out of uh, practice I missed it. Oh, you're a little bit more blind, so I'm going to work a little harder here to give you a little bit of extra. Now you got it. You know, kind of like the, the optometrist flips those uh, those lenses. How's that one? A, B, A, B, you know, back and forth. No, it's it, that can't be the case. Jesus is teaching us through that, that little illustration of partial seeing. In other words, he could tell that people were, you know, he could tell people were people, but he just couldn't fully make it out. It wasn't full clarity yet. And I think that's to illustrate what comes next. Because the very next thing is Jesus is going along with his, his disciples. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, there's lots of theories out there. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. Uh, some say that you're Elijah. You know, so this would be some type of come back from the dead or his spirit is coming to a new person kind of idea or maybe you're one of the prophets and Jesus asked Peter well who do you say that I am and Peter says in verse 29 you are the Christ which is the Greek word for Messiah that's the the um, prophesied one that's been promised to Israel all through the Old Testament that he's going to come into the world uh, so nailed it, Peter gets the answer completely correctly. And then starting in verse 31, Jesus starts talking to them. And it says that in the, verse 32, that he was saying it very plainly. There's no mystery. He's explicitly telling them that the Son of Man 
must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And then verse 32, it says that Peter took Jesus aside and he rebuked him. So Peter is confronting him like, no, 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 no. That is not what the Messiah is supposed to do. The Messiah is supposed to be a king. Uh, me and my other disciples here, we left everything to follow you because we thought we were getting in on the ground floor of the greatest enterprise in history. You're going to be announcing yourself a king, as king at some point. You're going to take over Jerusalem, the Roman Empire, the rest of the world, and then we're all going to rule together. This is going to be fantastic. Things are going to get better and better. But what you just said is a suffering and dying Messiah. Now, of course, read Isaiah 53. The, the prophecies were all there. I mean, it, it shouldn't be a mystery to them that the Messiah is supposed to suffer significantly. But this didn't match the hopes and dreams that, that, that Peter had. He says, and G, Peter, or Jesus replies to Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan. And this is key, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I mean, just think about that. Like Peter's got his hopes and dreams for, like I said, he's in on the ground floor of the greatest enterprise in, in, in history. He thinks he's going to have the penthouse apartment uh, overlooking the greatest city ruled by the greatest king, the, the God-man Jesus. And he's going to be the right-hand man of Jesus. Um this idea of suffering, dying, uh, come on, no, that, that can't fit into that. And the reason is, is because Peter's mind is on the things of man, not on the things of God. And this is really important, what he says in verse 34. I've got it on the screen. And Jesus said to him, if anyone would come after me, so if you want to follow me, yes, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, but if you want to be a part of my purpose, the reason that I'm here, what I'm doing in the world, then there's three things. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. And you've got to follow me. Self-denial is basically saying, okay, what I desire, what I want, I'm going to put what God wants first. You know, that idea that he says to, P to Peter uh, your, your mind is not on what God wants. Your mind is on what you want. You know, it's like what we see in Philippians chapter 2 where uh, the Apostle Paul encourages us to model the mindset of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, of putting others' interests ahead of our own interest. I have what I want. That's never a mystery to me. But am I willing to deny what I want on behalf of others? We're to take up our cross and let me get to that in a second. And then it says, third, we are to follow Jesus. And I think following Jesus means that he's king. He's the one that's in charge. He's the boss. I'm not serving my money. I'm not serving the mortgage. I'm not serving um, stuff to accumulate things for myself. I'm not serving the, the hopes and expectations that other people have for me. It's what does Jesus want? That's what I want. I follow him. Now, what's this idea of taking up my cross? Take up your cross. And I, 
I've been thinking about that a lot and I really think that that is about our role in the gospel and our role in his purpose in this world. Because, you know, think about it like this, the, uh, you know, a cross today is a religious symbol. Um, and to some people, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. But if you're a Christian and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, then, then the cross is the ultimate symbol of God's love. In, in those days, uh, for, some, for Jesus to say, take up your cross, that is, that is like saying, um, you know, I mean, take up your execution device. Because what they would do in the Roman Empire to, to, to keep order, you know, they kept order by, by having an iron fist and ruling with just absolute uh, devastating force. If anybody got out of line, then they would convict that person and sentence them to crucifixion. And they would make that person pick up their cross, carry it through town, you know, the town you grew up in. You know everybody that's in that town. They're watching you walk down the street carrying your instrument of death. And they know what's going to happen because the Romans are going to put you outside of town on the main road. So everybody going in and out of the town is going to see you hanging on that cross for days and days and days. And you die and eventually, I mean, I'm not, I don't even want to describe it. It's so awful to imagine. So for Jesus to tell them, he's like, take up your cross. But this side of the gospel, this side of, of knowing all the rest of what Jesus has done for us and the glorious good news of what the cross means, that Jesus died in my place. So, so it's not as, as, as awful for us to think about Jesus taking up his cross. It's, it's a joyous thing because we know that that's because he loves us. He took the place that I deserved. He took on the shame that I deserve to carry the cross that I deserve to die in the place that I deserved and then ultimately defeated death through his resurrection. It's, it's fantastic. And now Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to join me in that mission, to take up your cross, to die on behalf of other people. And, and I think there's so many things that we could, we could talk about in this scriptural, biblical idea of how as Christians, we model the love of Jesus to other people in our life by sacrificing what's good for us, for them, and especially when they do things that are wrong to us. Rather than re responding in kind, seeking revenge, or somebody hits you, you hit them back. In instead of responding to hatred with more hatred, we respond to hatred with love. And when we do that, we're showing people what it looks like in a small way for Jesus to take up his cross on behalf of the entire world, including me and including you, in an act of the ultimate love. The cross is the symbol of an, the ultimate act of love. So when Jesus says, in my opinion, when he's asking us to take up our cross, he is saying, take up the love that I have shown to you in order to show to other people. And, and, and then it, it, it builds on that idea for the rest of the chapter. 
Um, I'll let you guys dig into those kinds of things, but ultimately looking forward to the point that we are going to see him in his ultimate glory. Um, another passage that comes to mind, I'm going to pull it up in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's in here. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, and I, let's take it all the way back to the very first verse that we looked at. Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to teach him. Those people are the symbol of evangelism. Jesus is on, his purpose is reaching people and helping them to find him. And he calls us to join him in that. He's telling Peter, look, this is my purpose and this is my purpose for you. Are you going to be ashamed of my purpose? Or are you going to fully join me in my purpose by denying yourself, taking up your cross and following you? following Jesus and following the model of these people where we bring people to Jesus and then we beg Jesus on behalf of those people. I think I feel like this is just such an incredible picture of evangelism and our purpose joining with Jesus what he's doing in the world and keeping in mind that as a Christian I can join Peter in having a partial view of who Jesus is where my eyes are not completely opened to who he is because I say he's the Messiah, I say he's the Christ, but I deny that his purpose in my life for my sin on the cross and through my life in, in, in taking up my cross, joining him in his purpose to other people. And just the other amazing thing I think that, that comes out that supports this idea as well is that when this man looked out, the first stage of this healing in, in um, the first section, he sees people, but he sees them as trees walking. You know, the, these are objects that need to be cleared out of the way in order for us to achieve our purpose and our ends. But part of the healing is that he sees people clearly. There's no more fuzziness. These are, he's seeing people the way God sees people. He was brought to Jesus. Other people begged Jesus on his behalf so that he could be healed and then begin to reach other people and bring them to, to Jesus. So all I feel like it's a big loop here and, and a lot of other things that I think we can dig out of it. And, and I look forward to having those discussions with you this Sunday.